Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, let's talk about the Daytime Emmy Awards. So this is the first time you and I have not attended a ceremony in quite a while, but I have to say, I really enjoyed the broadcast. I thought the show moved well. I thought they tried some fun things to make it engaging. I mean, the winner's list was so fantastic. It was great to see Bold and Beautiful's John McCook take home his first award after all his years in daytime. But plus, he played the heck out of what could have been a super embarrassing story for an older actor, which was about erectile dysfunction. Young and Restless's Michelle Morgan made history with her lead actress win, and I thought her speech was just so beautiful. The remaining acting awards went to GH, as did Outstanding Drama Series, marking the 15th win, which is the most by any other daytime show. Um, and I was also super happy for Ron Carlovati, whose team took home the Outstanding Writing Award for days. Uh, as you recall, since we already discussed this last week, <laughs> Ron was snubbed in this category last year, and then he was double nominated this year for Beyond Salem as well. But his victory secured the only win for days. You know, I have a different experience of the Emmys now that I know so many of the nominees personally. And even though I wasn't there, my heart was so full for Nicholas Chavez, Jeff Cover, and Kelly Tebod from GH. I texted with all of them in the wake of their wins. And I think Jeff Cover said it best when he wrote, life is good. So I have to say that I really loved the range of winners. You know, John McCook, who's been a key player in daytime since the 1970s. Then Michelle Morgan making history, as you said, as the first Black actress to take home the lead actress honors Jeff Kober, whose run as Cyrus is his first substantial turn in daytime, but who, as he told us when he was a guest on the podcast, got his equity card in the early 1980s as a day player on Days of Our Lives. And then Nick Chavez, who has never been on television before this gig had never been on TV before a year ago, and now he has an Emmy. I felt like the winner's list was a very apt representation of a feature of soaps that has a lot of meaning to viewers, which is how multi-generational it is. And from the audience shots, it seems like everyone was having a great time and seemed happy to be in person again and enjoying each other's company face-to-face. All in all, like a great night for daytime, I would say. I totally agree. Bravo to CBS. They really pulled off an incredible show. Uh, now, in the new issue, we have an exclusive interview with Christian Alfonso, who opens up about returning to Days' NBC studios to film again as hope for Beyond Salem Chapter 2. Now, I spoke to Christian when she left the show in 2020, and at the time, it was clear coming back was really not something she was looking to do anytime soon. But two years have passed, and from what Ron Carlovati has described to me, they built this next Peacock installment around Bo and Hope. So Christian was very flattered and really excited by the story, and she agreed to do it. Um, and then she told me after the first day, it felt like she never left. Uh, she was so happy to reconnect with her co-stars and had an especially emotional reunion with Drake Hogeston, who plays John. She was really excited to see Peter Reckle again for the first time since like 2016, and says they fell right back into the same rhythm, even though they both admitted to having nerves. Uh, all in all, it was a 
positive experience for her. And she says, never say never to coming back again. Well, when this project was first announced, it felt like July was so far away. And now we are on the precipice of seeing Bo and Hope together again in just a matter of days. I am so excited. You know, I think the promo that the show just dropped has only whetted the anticipation for the series, which, which as we know, uh, will start streaming on July 11th. On also, like, shout out to whoever designed the promo art with the hourglass with wedding rings that say B&H and the tagline, true love never dies. Like, just take my money. I would not miss this reunion for the world. <laughs> here, here, me neither. I am so in for this. Uh, now, in other days' news, July 8th will mark the end of Victoria Conifal and Robert Scott Wilson's run as Sierra and Ben, or as they're better known, Sin. These two will take baby Bo and sail off like Bo and Hope and Bell and Sean have done before them. Now, these exits come hot on the heels of the departures of Lucas Adams as Tripp, Marcy Miller as Abigail, Sal Stowers as Lonnie, and Lamone Archie as Eli. So it may seem like there's a mass exodus going on in Salem, but I had a chat with Ron Carlovati who assures us that is not the case. Now in the new issue, he explains the whys and hows of these exits. And the good news is we won't be without Lucas, Victoria, and Rob for long because they will all be featured in Beyond Salem. You know, that is very good news. And I just have to say how much I appreciate Ron's candor and his willingness to give some behind the scenes context to these changes in the cast. There is sometimes, you know, a shroud of secrecy about these kinds of things, uh, which I think, you know, makes it harder for the audience. And for Alani fans, this issue also features uh, the joint exit interview of Sal and Lamone, which we touched on last week and was such a great read. They, you know, they will both be so missed on the show. I agree. I really enjoyed reading it too. And I felt like they were also very forthcoming about their reasons for going. Mm -hmm. um, well, someone who isn't an exit, but is a return is our guest today. It's Ken Haynes, who recently reprised the role of Bold and Beautiful's Mike. So let's check in with him and see how it's all going. Hi, Ken. Hello there. Nice to see you. You too. How you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Well, it's a nice, thank bright, you. sunny morning in uh, Los Angeles. Same here on the East Coast. And we are just so excited to get to talk to you today. Uh, your recent return to Bold and Beautiful made a lot of long-term fans very happy, ourselves included. So let's start with how this comeback came about. How'd you find out that the show was interested in having Mike on the canvas again? Well, first of all, thank you. Those long-term fans are amazing, and I've seen a lot of the buzz about it, and I was frankly um, uh, a bit surprised, and it really made me smile. and made me real remember how incredible daytime fans are. I mean, so I, I, I got such a warm welcome. It was really lovely. Um, I am friendly with um, with uh, the the bold and beautiful casting director and with Cindy Pop. Uh, so Christy Dooley called me, and I thought she was calling me to to say, "Hey, do you guys do you want to have coffee with us?" Blah blah blah. And then it was, "Would you like to come back to Bold and Beautiful?" And it really, I was like, "It's the last thing that I was expecting," and um, and I'm not because of the pandemic. I write and produce TV now, but. I'm just developing shows right now. And so the timing was perfect. And I, I thought for all of uh, uh, five seconds and said, yes, sure, I'll do it. And, um, and so that's how it came down. It was a pleasant surprise. Well, after those five seconds passed, did you start to have any reservations? Because, you know, you were out of mic practice? A hundred percent. I immediately said yes, hung up the phone. And this is what went through my mind. Oh my gosh, now I got to do it. Um, and it's funny, um, my girlfriend said to me, who I've been with a couple of years, so doesn't really know me at all in terms of acting. Um, she said to me, oh, Ken, this is great. This is fun. I, I'll get to see this side of you that I've only heard about. And, and then she paused and said, oh, can you still do it? And um, I said, that's a good question. So, um, you know, so, but like everything, I mean, it, 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 it felt slightly daunting for a minute. And then I was like, oh, yeah. And once I got there, it was like, oh, right. Okay. I know what this is. So, you know, it worked out. Well, Kimberlyn Brown, who plays Mike's longtime friend and co-conspirator, Sheila, reached out to you when she heard the news. Tell us about that conversation. Oh, that was amazing. She called me, um, oh, I would say with, I don't know if it was that day, it was certainly the next day if it wasn't, 
and said, um, oh my God, I heard, I just heard that you're coming back. I'm so happy. It was really terrific. And she said to me, she said, oh, I've been lobbying for you. I've been telling people in the press that, that you know, Sheila's soulmate is Mike and that's <laughs> what she really needs and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, that's amazing. Thank you. And, um, you know, we just picked right up where we were. She's, she's such a wonderful person and she's so generous. I love acting with her. Um, and I just love being around her. It was just, it literally, I walked into the studio and, uh, the, on the first day and I rounded the corner walking down the hall. There she was. She came running up, gave me a big hug and, um, we were off to the races. So we spent a little time catching up, uh, hearing about where we've been and our families and all of that sort of stuff. But it was great. That's so lovely. So, all right. How did you feel when you actually got those first scripts and actually had to memorize them and put yourself back into that headspace? Well, the production schedule is so fast at this point. And um, I remember, you know, I went back on the show in 2010. And at that point, I remember Cindy Pop, the, our producer and director, saying to me, um, now, Ken, it's a little different than when you were here before. We really move quickly. You know, I don't have, she said, I don't have to worry about you knowing your lines. I know you'll know your lines, but she said, know your lines. <laughs> and so I knew what I was in for, or I thought I knew what I was in for. Um, so I really spent time, you know, I, you know, I really spent time learning the lines. And again, my girlfriend, so generous. She ran lines with me every day that I wasn't shooting and, and and um, and she was very encouraging. So it was like I had this uh, lovely uh, uh, acting coach partner saying, "This is fantastic. Oh, you're good. You got this." So I spent a lot of time working on it, and it's it, it's essential, essentially, for, especially for me as an actor. I just can't be thinking about the lines and trying to do it with the pace that the show you know moves at. And Kimberlyn is such a pro. Um, I once I every day when I'd get to the studio, I would call her. I'd say, "Where are you? Oh, I'm in my dressing room. You want to run lines? Yes, get down here." And so we, we would we would run lines, and she has a great. Um, she's just such a pro and has such a great work ethic. The show really wanted to preserve the surprise of Mike's return. So did you have to sneak in in and out of the studio? Yeah, I not only I didn't sneak in and out of the studio, but I mean they warned me in every way, shape, and form. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't let anyone know. Whatever you do, um, and then even the scripts didn't um, have Finn's real name in it. So I'm working on it, calling him Henry, and I uh, the first run through with Kimberly, she says his name's not Henry. I said no, no, it's right here. It's Henry. <laughs> And then she said, Finn, I thought, oh, is that his last? I said, no. She said, no, no, no. They don't want anyone to know. They've changed the scripts. So it's Finn. So now, again, after days of rehearsing these lines, I had to get Henry out and put Finn in. So, um, wow. Yeah, so they, they were, um, I was sworn to secrecy. I feel like you should get paid extra for that. <laughs> <laughs> Memorizing two names. <laughs> right. uh, Tell me about the feeling of walking back into that studio after the passage of some time, like on the first day. Did you have any jitters or were you just excited to get back into it? I, I had both. I was very clear walking into the studio that I was going to be present and I was really going to take it in. I, I, I said to myself, don't let this get by. You know, um, look, I, I've been at this a long time. Um, I've been in and out of a lot of studios. I hadn't been in, in CBS Television City, you know, for 12 years. Uh, no, well, I'd been back once, but to watch something. Um, and so, you know, there was this great, it was very familiar, and I really just took it in, you know, and... Um, and, and, you know, and, and as I'm walking through this sort of labyrinth and going up the elevator, it's like, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Oh, yeah. Here's the, oh, right. And it was all the same. So it was just such a sense of deja vu, you know, uh, walking in there. And it was, it was nice. Now, at the same time, especially the first day, I was nervous. You know, I was like, oh, yeah. I didn't have a lot to do, which was nice. But, um, but I was a little 
okay, finding my sea legs. Um, so I, I had a little bit of both, but I will say mostly I was, I, it was really nice. And it, it just, you know, it takes me back almost 30 years. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I sort of started there and I've, you know, I said to someone, I was very fortunate to have Bold and the Beautiful early on um, because it, it made me a professional. It kept me in the business. It, it allowed me to create a foundation to, to go on. And, and, you know, most of the guys I came up with from theater school forward, a few are still in the business, but most, you know, it's just too brutal. It too, it's such a hard business. And it was really the foundation from which everything else I've done sort of sprung. So I, um, I feel fortunate and um, I'm in some ways um, indebted to Bold and the Beautiful and to, to Brad Bell, you know. Well, other than Kimberlyn, were there any other co-stars that you got to see again that you're great reunions with? I write because we there's such a, a proto, a COVID testing protocol. On my very first day in line, um, John McCook walked up. And we're all masked up, you know, and I had glasses on. And so I pulled my mask down and I said, John. And he said, oh, my God, Ken. He said, I heard you were coming back. So we had a really nice catch up um, and walked into the studio. And then we ended up in the makeup room together that day. And, I, you know, I got to hear about his kids and um, how he's doing. And he, he's such a such a uh, really wonderful guy, such a nice man. Um, and such a pro, and we just talked about, you know, the longevity of careers, and, you know, uh, you're still here, I'm still here, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It was really nice. I really, I really adore him. He's a wonderful guy. And now he's a lead actor winner of an Emmy. I was thrilled. I was so, in, in, I don't have his email address, and I've been meaning to, to get it and to congratulate him. But, you know, I was thrilled. I went online the, the next day. I can't remember where I was just to see. So, um, you know, I was disappointed for Kimberlyn. I think, I mean, I just think she is, you know, look, I'm prejudiced. I think she is uh, such a terrific actress, and she really brings, you know, her A game. And so I was really rooting for her. It didn't happen this time. Maybe next time, you know, she deserves it. She definitely has a lot of material to submit yeah. for next year. So yeah, I don't absolutely. worry about her. Yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely. All right. Well, quite remarkably, next year will mark the 30th anniversary of the on-again, off-again love affair that you have had with Mike. But we want to know more about your life prior to B&B. Uh, so you were raised in Vancouver, Washington, which is not far from Portland, Oregon. Your mom still lives there. Uh, how would you describe growing up there? Um, oh, that's such a good question. And by the way, you, I can't believe all the research you've done. Yes, I was raised in Vancouver. It was a really nice place. It was, it was small townish, at least it felt that way when I was growing up. I was mostly interested in having fun and playing sports. I was a basketball player. I, you know, played high school basketball. My life was completely wrapped up in that. I was not particularly uh, an interested student. I did well enough to get by. It really, it was in college that I discovered sort of academics and learning and, and really embraced it and, and, and actually found theater at the University of Washington where I went to the BA theater program and then I went on to their MFA, professional actor training program. Um, but it was, it was a nice, it was a really nice place to grow up. And Portland's a beautiful city and, you know, I, I, I had a, a, a nice upbringing, um, good parents, uh, a younger brother. Um, and my mother, who still lives there, back in the day, she couldn't get Bold and the Beautiful. It was not on in that market. There was two or three markets that it wasn't on in. And now she gets it. So in her retirement home with her lady friends, they have a little club that watches Bold and the Beautiful. And so at the retirement home, I'm a junior celebrity. Uh, <laughs> so it's really nice for her. And she actually said to me today, oh, I'm not, I think I'm going to miss lunch and, and watch it. I said, I'm not sure I'm on today. Well, I just want to be sure. Um, <laughs> so it's really sweet. So, that's so sweet. it's been a big plus for her to get to see this at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm guessing then performing wasn't really on your radar when you were growing up. So then how did you find your interest in it? 
you know, here's how I found my interest in it. And I think it's what also allowed me, you know, led me to being an actor and, and actually laid the foundation for me to be a writer, a producer in television. I love TV and movies. I, my, I, I, my misspent youth was watching television. Um, and when I got to the University of Washington, I, I went to the film department and I thought, I'm going to explore this. And the film department at that time was more theoretical. It was really just the theory of film, the criticism of film, that kind of thing. And then I found the drama department because of that. And it was a fabulous drama department. Um, and I just got drawn in and got hooked and got the bug. And I think, you know, going from studying economics to studying theater, I think my parents, they weren't, they weren't unsupportive, but I think they thought, oh, he'll grow out of it. <laughs> and, um, and I didn't grow out of it. So, yeah, so that, that, it was at the University of Washington where I, where I found the theater program and, and discovered acting and, and really, you know, discovered my passion. So how did your migration to Los Angeles come about? Well, um, I went back east to New York to do summer stock. I ended up in, so I went outside the city to Connecticut, Waterbury, Connecticut. I did summer stock. I came back into the city. I had kind of a mix of friends, some in the uh, acting biz and some, uh, you know, starting their careers, uh, mostly in finance. Uh, it was very clear that the ones in finance were doing better than the ones in <laughs> acting. Um, and I realized pretty quickly that I, I wasn't a singer dancer this wasn't the place for me. And I also realized, even though I had this theater um, education, I mean, I'd always been interested in film and television. And so that's what motivated me. I actually went back to Portland for about a year and a half. I paid off, got a job, did theater, paid off my school loans and packed up my little car. And I had one friend in Los Angeles and I drove down to Los Angeles and, you know, got started, so. Well, how did you get started? Like, how do you go about breaking into the biz then? Well, um, I started, huh, it's interesting. I, so a couple of things. I started doing theater right away. That I knew. I found a couple of theater companies. I was very fortunate. I landed in a really good um, theater company called uh, Friends and Artists Theater, doing very sort of progressive avant-garde work back then. And I also realized then that I didn't really know about acting in front of the camera. So one of the things I did was I started auditioning like mad down at USC for student films. And I did a ton of student films. I did their projects in the studio. I did their thesis project shot on location. I did their scene study. Anytime they, you know, there was something to do, I did it. And, and through that and through theater and people seeing me and um, I met Christy Dooley um, in, a, in a showcase where, where you know, you, you meet a casting director, casting directors meet actors, and she called me in. And I think, if, if memory serves, it, I, I think the role was only for about three days. And I, it's funny because I got cast in two things on the same day. I remember the agent calling me and said, this bold and beautiful. And, and a nighttime show called Civil Wars, I think it was. And... I said, well, what's, so what's the difference? Well, Civil Wars is one day, you know, it's five lines, and this is, a, I, we don't know how much, but it's like three days. I'm like, okay, I'll take the three days. Um, and that's, you know, that's where it started. So, um, but I was, I also felt very fortunate as a young actor because here I was, I had this job, um, that was semi-regular at Bumble and the Beautiful. I was, I could make some money, make a living. Um, and at the same time at night, I continued to do really experimental avant-garde theater. My wife then was a, a playwright. Um, she wrote plays, we produced plays together. She directed me in plays, you know. Um, so it was a really amazing um, artistic experience. And on top of it, then I had this this really wonderful commercial experience with Bold and the Beautiful. So, yeah. Best of both worlds, as they say. I, it really was. It was the best of both worlds. I was very fortunate. Did you have uh, non-acting day jobs to help pay the bills when you were starting out? So I had a very unusual day job. Um, uh, I was a private investigator. And I fell into private investigating 
at the highest, most secretive level by a complete fluke. So I worked for a company out of New York. They were setting up an office in Los Angeles. It was back in the day, I cut my teeth on what was then the biggest insider trading case on Wall Street. It was the Ivan Bosky, Michael Milken insider trading case. Wow. And I, these guys hired me. Um, they were very progressive kind of company. So they didn't, ha they had all kinds of different unusual people. And I performed for them. I did a lot of surveillance work and stuff like that. And so they were like, get the actor kid. And so I worked for them for two and a half years. And our client list was the who's who of Wall Street and Hollywood. And then um, I, I, um, for, I left there and I formed a little company with the guy that had hired me and we had our own smaller private investigating firm. And then I, then I really was getting busy with acting and I sold the company to him and sort of never looked back. But I'll tell you a funny story where the soaps and PI crossed. I was following someone, and this was a little bit later, this was after the Boski stuff, it was a slip and fall case. Now I had been on Bold and Beautiful for a year or so, and I had sold the company, but I kept a couple of lawyers um, that I did surveillance work with real high-end slip and fall cases. If you were suing for a lot of money, they would send me out and I was reliable and I would go out and follow someone. And I was working, I, I, I would hire my buddies to work with me and I was working with a dear friend and I had followed someone out of the city. It might've been even up towards Santa Barbara and they went into a restaurant, uh, like a diner. And I said to my pal, listen, let's go in. I'm hungry, you know, let's go in. So we went in and sat down and I'm sitting there and the waitress recognized me and went crazy. Uh, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was, you know, we're trying to be incognito. And, and, but then I realized, oh, it's okay. This person will never, you know, and I have my little binder and stuff with me. And so I have some pictures and it's like, and I remember my friend saying, give her a picture. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, right, right. So I signed a, a thing and, and, you know, um, and then, and then what ended my PI career for good was I was following someone, a young woman, um, and my, the attorneys I worked for called me and said, oh, she spotted you. Um, because their, her attorneys called them. And that happened occasionally, you know? And she said, but we're curious. She said one of the guys on the soap opera she watches had been following her. So she, the way she spotted me was that she recognized me. And so that was my last PI case. Uh, it, all, oh it all ended then. I think this is my favorite answer to that question ever on the podcast. The stories and the people that I worked for, it's, they're crazy stories. Anyways. Okay, that's my secret next job that I want to do. So we're going to talk when this all okay, sure, you know, goes away. Um, okay, so what did you know about soaps before you joined B&B? Like, were they on, like, on your radar at all, even? Yeah, they were on my radar. Look, I, I remember uh, my mother watched General Hospital when I was a kid, kid, kid. Wait a minute. No, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no, my mother did watch General Hospital. That's right. And the the... The place where I would go after school, I, I, uh, my mom worked sort of diff different kinds of jobs. So someone, this woman would babysit me after kindergarten until three o'clock or something. And, um, and she watched Dark Shadows. And so I would sit there and watch Dark Shadows with her. And, and I must have watched uh, General Hospital with my mother because... I remembered, you know, some of the people. And years, years later, Susan Brown became a friend of mine um, it, through the theater. Susan and Brown and, and Kathleen Noon, they, they did uh, plays of Mary's, my wife's. And we became quite good friends. And, um, and so I remembered Susan or I knew the people from all that time ago, you know. So uh, they were on my radar, yeah. Uh -huh. So you said that Christy saw you in a showcase. So did you not have an audition? Because she yeah. So she saw me in a showcase and then, um, and she called me in and I read for her 
and um, and then I came back and I remember and I read for Brad uh, and her and um, and I got the job and uh, it was a pretty streamlined straightforward sort of process and you know we were off to the races after that so now do you remember your first first day at bnb and if so what stands out oh boy i remember i well here's what i remember about it i remember the guards outfit that i was in i remember it was in a hospital uh, I, I and it had to do with switching a paternity tests and um, <laughs> I know one of the things I remember, um, you know, sometimes Mike can be a little goofy. And part of that was born out of, I remember early on, I don't know if it was the first day or not, but very early on, I was there and I had the, the, um, the security guard belt and all the accoutrement and, and I had to get something off the counter, grab a cup of, pour a coffee, all while I was doing this business. And I think I whacked into something and, and then almost spilled the coffee. And so out of that came a little bit of the bumbling, um, uh, born out of sort of nerves of the early days. And, um, and I do remember with Kimberlyn, I, I do remember that, that, I was nervous and she felt like the old pro because, she, you know, um, and she was just so gracious and we just had a connection. I felt like she liked me right off the bat and I liked her and that makes it just makes it easier because, you know, when you're acting in these things, you know, you're surrounded by the lights and the cameras and all these technical people. And then in this little bubble, are you and this other person? And you're blocking out all of this. And if, if you can make the world in that bubble between the two of you be about connection between the two of you, something happens that enhances the work but also makes the work nice for you. So, and we had that right off the bat. Well, uh, clearly, the three days was just a taste of what was to come. Yes. Do you remember how you felt when yet more scripts started pouring in and it became clear that your stay there would be extended? Yeah, I was very excited about that. That was my first extended thing. I'd done other television. Um, I'd done a little bit of, I was starting to do film film stuff, but um, but that was my first extended thing. And it And so I was happy just to have a job. I was happy that the stories to me felt kind of special. I mean, they felt good and meaty. So I was like, wow, this is, this is really good material. Um, and I, I realized pretty early on for an actor, what a luxury it is to have the same place to go. It gives you a kind of security just as, but it, but it also gives you that chance to practice that craft on a pretty regular basis, really learning about the cameras and, and learning about blocking and learning what works and what doesn't work. So I was, I was, as I said before, I was fortunate and I was very happy to have that show. And I think I found sort of a bold and beautiful family. I mean, the crews were fantastic. Um, the actors were really wonderful and we did a lot of, you know, we, we also away from the show, we socialized, but we also did events and, you know, there, it, there was a real rich world of going places and doing things and meeting your fans and all of that. So it was, it was really nice. So Sheila and Mike drove quite a bit of significant B&B story during your first run. Um, but they did have some bumpy times, like when she unleashed an attack dog on him when he threatened to blackmail her for tampering with Bridget's paternity test. So what do you remember about the dog as a co-star? Oh, well, that's funny. Um, I will say that you may see that again. Um, I will tease you. Um, uh, well, I, here's what I always remember about all of those things, which is as you're reading the script for the first time, oh my God, <laughs> am I going to get eaten by dogs and I'm, I'm off the show? Oh, wait a minute. Oh, the elevator comes back down, the door's open, and I've tamed the dogs. Fantastic. Mike lives to fight another day. Um, so, but I, I, I remember, um, oh, you're just spurring this memory now. I remember that they had two dogs and one was so docile that they were like, 
and frankly, Fire. I was like, oh, you know, the dog was like, he was so mellow. He was like, he wasn't really interested in attacking me. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, the way in which it was shot, there was a stunt person, but there was one shot where the dog had to leap up and put its paws up on my shoulders, basically, to, to simulate this attack. And then we would cut. And, and um, I remember thinking, oh, I hope this dog is well-trained. Um, but it, it did it. And I remember having great satisfaction um, when the doors opened and I was able to, probably for the first time, turn the tables on Sheila, you know, to, to, to have one up on her. Oh, you didn't get the best of me, you know. So that was, was, was great fun. Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so you recurred on the show from 1993 to 1998, and then uh, you came back in 2010, as we mentioned, for a story arc where you worked primarily with Patrick Duffy, ex-Steven, who's, of course, best known as Bobby Ewing on Dallas. So right. that call, I imagine, also came as a surprise, given that there had been a dozen years uh, in betwixt. Yeah, there had been a call early in the 2000s. I was actually in Toronto producing a show for what was then uh, the PAX Network, this family network, a show called Doc, and uh, with Billy Ray Cyrus, actually. Um, and they called and said, oh, we've written you back in, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, um, it's going to be a great story. And, and I said, oh, my gosh. You know, I said, I can't do it. Um, I'm... I'm, I'm writing and producing television now and I'm under contract. And I don't remember, I was under a pretty long, I think I was under a three year contract at that point. And so I said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. And um, so I moved on, kept doing my things. And then the call again came sort of out of the blue and, um, and, and came and worked with Patrick Duffy, who was such a wonderful guy, such a, you know, again, such a pro and such a good actor, but really a wonderful guy. And we had something in common. He went to the same theater school that I went to. So, um, you know, so it was, that was really nice. And that was really uh, a pleasant surprise. And I had a few people in my life at that time who only knew me as a writer and a director. I was directing that television as well. And um, so when they knew that I was acting, um, one of them, especially a dear friend of my wife and I, who had worked with us on a show, I want to come to the set. I, 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 want, I, I want to see this. So I remember uh, she came down to the set and uh, wanted, you know, stood in the back with my wife and watched the show. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was really, uh, you know, that was really lovely. I had a mm -hmm. very nice run with that. Mm -hmm. Well, daytime fans, of course, know you best for your B&B work, but your showbiz career does not begin and end with your acting, as we've mentioned. Uh -huh. So to say the least, you've carved out quite an incredibly successful career as a writer and producer and director. So can you talk us through how your behind the scenes professional life was born? Yeah, my wife, um, Mary, um, who, because this, a lot of the soap uh, fans from back in the day knew Mary. She went with me. Um, to a lot of events, and she loved, she was a soap fan, so for her, she loved that I was on soap. She loved B&B, she loved Y&R, um, and, and she has passed away. She passed away in 2010. Um, she was writing when I met her, and I was always helping her write. I, and by helping her, I mean, I, she would give me what she read. I would look at it. I would give her notes. We would discuss it. And I became amongst our friends, writer friends, sort of the guy that gave people notes. Oh, Ken has a real nice perception. Share your script with him. He'll have some good ideas. And then she got a break in television, uh, working for what was then the PAX Network. And um, a man named Jeff Sagansky, who ran, who ran that network. And I remember saying to her, well, you know, I think I could write these scripts. And she said, well, you should do it. You have to quit. If you want to do this, you have to quit helping people and you have to write something on your own. I said, well, maybe I will. And she said, well, do it. So I did it. Uh, I wrote a spec script for her show. Um, a couple of other scripts of her show fell out um, and she had my script. And when the president said, well, do you have anything else? She said, oh yeah, I happen to have this. She shared it with him. He said, who is this? She said, well, that's my husband. 
And he, I remember him saying, well, why isn't he on your staff? He gets the show. I want to put him on your staff and I want to make this a two-parter. So I want him to write a second episode. And um, that started my career. And that was in 2000. And so I sort of haven't looked back, you know, since then. And I always had an interest in directing. And I remember with, with him, especially, I said, um, well, I'm interested in directing and you know, uh, he said, well, stay with us, stay here at PAX and we'll make that happen for you. And sure enough, they did. So I was very fortunate because I was, I got an opportunity very quickly because it was a new network to rise up. I was producing and directing the shows, which would have taken me a long time, very, very quickly. And, um, yeah. And the rest, the rest is history, so. Well, in addition to directing and writing and producing, you've also been the executive producer on a number of primetime series. Yeah. So I imagine in that role, you have a lot of creative input, of course, but you also have to be the boss. So I'm curious yeah. if that was an easy transition for you, or do you feel like there was a learning curve you had to settle into? Well, I think both. It was an absolutely easy transition. As a young person, I was very entrepreneurial. I had all kinds of different jobs and little businesses and I knew how to manage people and keep organized. And so when I found executive producing, it, it felt so natural. It's like, oh, I know how to do this and I know how to do it well. And, and, and I did and I, I, I rose up pretty quickly because of that. But also um, I learned pretty quickly that I, that, that this had, ha I knew it had happened fast and I started to be aware of, pay attention to the people around you, the, the real pros. And I really learned, there was a woman in Canada named Marilyn Stonehouse who had produced a ton of stuff. And she took me under her wing and she really taught me how to produce. And, um, and, and I learned from her and that set the, the foundation for me, you know, going on. But I felt very at home. I felt like it was the perfect combination of art and, and sort of business. And it just, it, it worked for me. So, you know, and I loved it. I, um, yeah, I loved it. So speaking of executive producing, you served that role on the series you mentioned with Billy Ray Cyrus, Doc. Uh, you also served as a writer there, and his superstar daughter, Miley Ray Cyrus, was a guest star. So what stands out to you about working with Billy Ray and Miley? I had a great time with Billy Ray and with Miley. Um, Miley is actually uh, also my neighbor. She lives across the street. Um, I don't see her that often, but um, she's a terrific neighbor. Um, I I had a really nice time with Billy. Um, he's a great guy, and although he was um, new to acting, um, he was uh, good to work with, and uh, and we worked together for four years back in the days when you were doing twenty plus episodes a year. So we must have done close to ninety episodes, I think, in four years. Um, so it was really great. I remember when he said, "Hey, Ken." Uh, what do you think about my daughter? She could play, we had a, a young boy on the show. She could play the sort of love interest, like she could have a crush on him. And, and, and we started talking about that. And sure enough, we, we brought um, uh, Miley up and she was great. What I remember about Miley, she was just starting to act. So I don't think anyone said, oh, she's the most amazing actress because she was young. But what she was, was she was wise beyond her years. She took to it very quickly, and she had this great energy. And I remember when I was directing, she asked me if she could sit with me. And I said, oh, sure. She, she was the star's daughter, so you say yes. So she sat in the chair next to me, and then she said, hey, do you think I could call action? I said, yes, you can call action. And I would point to her when we were ready. I'd say, go. And she'd say, action. And then she said, hey, hey, could I call cut? I said, okay, you can call cut. I'll point to you when, okay. So she did that. And, and, and I remember her saying, oh, I kind of like this acting. I mean, this directing. And, um, and then there was a scene that was a real light scene. And we were having a hard time getting the scene. And I remember her <laughs> and saying, Miley, go in there. Tell your dad to lighten up. To let's have some fun. You know, she goes, oh, I know what to do. I know what to do. And this little kid marched into the middle of that set, you know, with 20 guys standing around, technicians, and said, hey, Dad, 
uh, let's shake it up a little bit, loosen up, let's have some fun. And everyone started laughing. He started laughing. I signaled her over. I pointed, she said, action. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, that, that, is, that is something that will always stay with me. And we just, we had such fun that day, so. Oh, that is so darling. Does she yeah. know that you're you? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't see her often, but once in a while, I, um, she's literally across the street. So, but we're behind gates and. Um, but fancy. If I, it, it's <laughs> not, that, not that fancy, but, but um, if I'm down, you know, I've seen her on the street. I remember the first time, you know, I remember the house was up for sale. And then I'd heard she bought it. And then one day I'm walking with my wife and, um, and here she comes driving by and she stops and, hey, Ken, how you doing? So, um, so I've seen her a few times and, um, since then. And, um, and then I've, I've seen her mother as well. You know, if I'm out on the street, they stopped, I don't know, a couple mother days ago and said, Ken, and I got to see both of them. They were headed somewhere for brunch or something. So That's she's cool. a terrific... She's a terrific gal, and um, and she's a great neighbor. You know, really, really, you know, neighbor. And I don't think everyone was so sure about that when she moved in. So, mm -hmm. so. Um, now you were also the executive producer of a show called "Love You to Death," which was hosted by John Waters, uh, icon Hairspray, uh, yes. which uh, was a show with such a lighthearted concept, Ken. It focused yeah. on marriages that ended with one spouse killing the other. I think that is absolutely brilliant. So what stands out to you about that project and about working with John Waters? Well, I love of everything I've done. That was great fun. And I loved that project. We creatively did something I think that no one had really done. So it was spousal murder every week. Uh, a husband killed a wife, wife killed a husband. Um, but we told a murder mystery in a half hour, a, a true crime murder mystery. So we would take the real stories and we would keep who killed who, how they killed him and how they got caught. But then we would blow it up to make it tonally match with John. And um, I just had a great, great time with that. My wife was on the show with me. Um, uh, the young woman I was talking about who came and watched us, me in the soap opera, her name is Nicole Snyder. She was a writer and we, we all became fast friends. And Nicole I've worked with subsequently and she and my wife were very close friends. So it was, it was this great group and it was, it was also, it, it felt like renegade television. We, it was edgy. You know, we, we had an office in this building where we were writing it, but it was a small conference room. And one day I brought all the people to my house and we sat around the dining room table and it's an airy kind of environment. And, it, and after that, people said, we don't want to go back to the office. <laughs> so we wrote the show in my dining room and it was just great fun to write and to produce the show. I produced it in Toronto and, and getting to meet John, it, it, he's so iconic, you know, um, and it was really great. And I didn't know what to expect. I mean, and I felt like I had to kind of be careful with him and I remember he had an idea about the show that was different than I had. And I said to him, hey, John, I'm thinking this instead. And he sort of looked at me and said, you're right. I'm just the producer. I mean, just the performer, whatever you want, you know. And we were sort of off to the races. So he was terrific. He's a larger than life character. And he is... Um, He's known in his life, like everyone famous, from, from the most conservative politicians to the most outrageous porn stars <laughs> and movie stars and business leaders. And, and so he is just a wealth of stories. Um, and so he's, he's great fun to hang out with. So I really enjoyed John a lot. Well, it looks like the longest running series that you executive produced and also wrote for is one that I did not miss one episode of, and that's Rizzoli and Isles, which starred Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. So first tell us what the two of them were like to work with. I loved that show. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I love that show too. Um, that show um, was wonderful. Um, they, they were terrific. Um, I adore Sasha. 
Um, she is just, she became a, a, a dear friend, but they were really magic together. You know, she and Angie were just, again, it's something you can't really define. They just had a kind of chemistry. So they were fun to write for. They were fun to produce the show with. I, I absolutely adored the show. Um, we produced it at Paramount. So I was on the lot at Paramount for, I don't know, I think close to five years. And I love that. It's, you know, so every day you drive through those gates, it was like, it was, I felt like I had arrived in Hollywood. Um, and it was, you know, it was an interesting show. I, I said it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. My wife had passed away. We had, we had finished a pilot um, in 2010. She was sick, um, but she was sort of in remission. And we finished this pilot in New York for USA called Eden. And it was a passion project. We, we loved this project. We wrote it together. We went to New York. We produced it. I remember her saying to me, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. She got, she said, I got to work with you. We got to produce this here in New York. My, her family was from New York and around. They got to come in. So it was just great. We went on to actually, she and I, Mary, went on to um, replace Joanna Johnson on a, um, an ABC family show called Make It or Break It. I love that show too. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, here's me writing for teenage girl gymnasts. Um, it was one of the best experiences I ever had. Loved the people, loved the show. Really got into those characters. Just had such a such a nice time. But my wife got sick after that, and she passed away. And uh, I didn't do anything for about six months. And I finally called my agents. Not because I wanted to work, but I was thinking it was back when there was sort of television seasons, unlike today when it's just going, you know, all year long. And I said, well, I just wanted you guys to know I'm here. Um, and, you know, I didn't want them to think I retired, basically. And they said, okay, great, great to know, great to know. Um, so I'm ready, you know, if something comes in. Now, I said it thinking nothing will come in because there's nothing everything's already staffed up and blah, blah, blah. Within less than a week, they called me and said, oh, there's this opportunity. So the show called Rizzoli and Isles, do you know it? I said, I don't, I know of it, I don't know it. They said, watch it, because you have a meeting on Monday. So I crammed the show over the weekend. I went in, I, 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 I met with the executive producer of the show and, um, and she and I started talking. And, and so at the end of the interview, I said, well, there, that's, that's my story. And, um, and she said, well, I hear there's something else w with you. And I said, well, what do you hear? She said, I hear there's been tragedy in your life. And I, I remember taking a beat and then saying to her, listen, I'll, I'll tell you my story, but you know, if you're interested in me and maybe we'll work together, but I don't want to go into this if this is just chit chat. And she said, no, I'd really like to know, you know, so I told her all about Mary and I told her the story and, um, and it was, it was joyous and it was sad. And I finished the story and um, she said, you want to work together? And I said, sure. She said, I'll make a deal with your agent. And within a week I was working on the show. And so the show in some ways, it came pretty early, about six months after Mary had passed. But it kind of saved me in a way. It, it, it got me, it, you know, they're very demanding, these shows. Um, and it, it got me in there, got me going. And so it, 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 that show has a lot of significance to me be, because of that. And then as the years went on, I just grew to really enjoy it. I got to tell you, if that show had continued on, um, I would have stayed on that show the rest of my career. It was, it was just a great place to work with great people, good actors, talented writers. It was, it was a godsend. Yeah. So. Um, it was. I would still be at. watching it too. <laughs> What's that? Say I would that still again. be watching it as oh, well. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a really nice mix for me as a writer. I love writing crime stuff. I love. Uh, uh, unraveling the mysteries, but it had so much fun character stuff. So, you know, you would break the crime story and then it'd be like, okay, what are they going to do this week? 
which one of them is going to have a, a a crazy boyfriend? Who? What's what? What's her brother going to do? What's you know? Uh, what's Lorraine Bracca going to do? You know? Right. So it was just it was always just a, a really fun show to write. Mm -hmm. And you you must have been very proud with how uh, much of a moment that show was and how much it resonated with the audience. You know, I was proud of that. That probably got by me a little in the moment because you're so busy. Sure. Um, it, 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 it wasn't until towards the end of the run of the show. I remember when we, when we had done 100 episodes. And back in the day, 100 episodes on a, on a network show was nice, but it, you, know, you needed at least that to get into syndication. But so a hundred episodes of a cable show, I, it didn't really dawn on me until we were celebrating, which was unheard of. I mean, there is a handful of shows. And I think, I don't remember how many we did total, but maybe 120, something like that. There's very, very few cable shows that do that many episodes. So it was really, I, re, I remember what a big deal Paramount and Warner Brothers made of, of, of that hundred episodes. And it was it it was a big deal so mm -hmm. you know I, i'm i'm immensely proud of that show uh, it was not only enjoyable i think i think it was a really well crafted a well made show so um of all the hats you've worn actor writer producer director is there one that brings you the most fulfillment you know the most is hard to say they bring you different fulfillment um there's an immediacy with acting that you, you know, you, you prepare it, you rehearse it, you go in, you shoot it. If it works, it's great. You, you have this immediate sort of feedback, it, you know, and there's an intimacy with the performer, the performers that you're working with, which I really quite like. Um, and so I would have said before going back to Bold and Beautiful, oh, definitely producing and directing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had such a good time. I really had a nice time. And part of the thing was, for me, it's a little bit of a holiday. I don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. No one's coming to me and saying, oh, uh, what do you think of her hair? Uh, do you like the shoes? Oh, this one and that one are fighting. Um, you know, I go and do my job. And it's a focus on one small thing. Whereas in producing, you're focused on everything from story to costume to the lighting to... The, 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 the politics of the set and the back office and all that. So it's, it's easier. But I will say that I, um, I quite like producing television. Um, I love the collaboration. You know, I came from the theater, was all about collaborating with people. And I, I find that, that producing, there's a, a real collaboration with, with the actors, with the writers, with the directors, with the, with, with all of the other, the costumers, the set people, all of that. And I quite like all that, you know? I'm a visual person also, and I like to see, I can visualize, I, I like crafting that visual, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, Ken, particularly because you've had so much success behind the camera, uh, it's got to tickle you that <laughs> your first episode back as Mike got the response that it did, that the B&B audience is so nuts to have you back on the show, so excited. Uh, what does it mean to you that, you know, nearly three decades later, as we've said, that you first stepped onto the B&B set, the audience still has so much affection for the character and for you? Well, first of all, it was surprising. I did not expect it. Someone called me and said, do you know what's going on? Uh, you know, the internet's kind of blowing up with all this stuff. And then Kimberlyn called me. Um, uh, so I was surprised by it. I wasn't anticipating that. I was surprised by it. And then, and, and, and then it's a little bit like I said earlier, it, it came rushing back how passionate um, so fans are, daytime fans are, you know, and so it was really nice. I, I, it, I, I really felt great. And I remember uh, speaking with Kimberlyn about it and just saying, oh, what a nice thing. And um, it, it, it just, it surprised me and it kind of overwhelmed me, frankly. Uh, so I say to all of those daytime fans out there, thank you. Um, you are a big part of why I'm where I'm at. So thank you. Well, 
We're going to say thank you for all of your time today, for all of your amazing stories. I want to thank you personally for being such a big part of my entertainment experience. <laughs> um, and I certainly look forward, hopefully, to more days on B&B and other shows that I can enjoy that you are a part of. Well, thank you so much. Stay tuned. There's some delicious <laughs> Feel a Mike stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Can't and thank wait. you guys. It was terrific talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Ken Haynes for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.